Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Thank you for being here today, particularly given that it's Melbourne Cup and a lot of the people are very interested in attending that particular event and celebrating that with a lunch. But we're going to spend a few minutes this morning just talking about the equine, the horse, and how artists have actually captured the image of the horse in particular circumstances. Just for a little bit of information, of course, every horse that we have in Australia has, has come from another country. It's, it's an imported animal from, from other parts of the world. Seven horses came with the first fleet in 1788, but after their very, very arduous journey, not many of them survived. I think only a couple survived for a few years. They called in uh, Cape Town on the way, and they um, picked up a stallion, four mares, a colt, and a filly. But later, uh, more ships came into the colony and brought more horses into New South Wales. And just for your interest, by 1800, there were 200 horses. By 1820, there were 3,500 horses. By 1850, 160,000 horses in the colony. Today, there are estimated to be 1.2 million in Australia. And it's interesting, isn't it, because estimate, estimation is the key, because we don't really know how many there might be. Horses were purchased for transport, agriculture, mining, stockwork, policing, sport, pleasure riding by the gentry. And if you look at the work on my right, and it's a very small work by William Strutt, 1861, it's called A Question Portrait of Sergeant John Darby and another member of the Victorian Police Force. And you can see it was completed in 1861 when you have a really close look at it. Um, and it has a view of the very fine thoroughbred horses because thoroughbreds were considered to be the elite of the horse, even though perhaps they weren't really um, the most arduous horses in this particular country. Um, and they were well-groomed and cared for. And you can see that the police were considered to be very important in this country because they actually monitored the well-being of the community, but more importantly, watched the gold products being distributed or carted across the land. The horses that you can see in the strut painting have their legs, forelegs and back hind legs splayed out like a rocking horse. And one of the intriguing things about this particular movement and motion of horses is that, in fact, the question is, when a horse moves in a particular way, particularly in the gallop, are the legs fully off the ground, as depicted by Strutt? And this was the question that was given to photographer Edward Maybridge in 1878. And the question was given to him by a railroad tycoon and former Californian governor, Leyland Stanford, who was convinced certainly the answer was yes. Maybridge then developed a way to take photos with an exposure lasting a fraction of a second and with reporters as witnesses, arranged 10 cameras along a track on Stanford's estate. Now, if you get the chance to have a look at a little 
at a later stage. Have a look at uh, a very, very, very small image in the box down here to my right, because you'll see the answer to this question. As a horse sped by on this race course, it tripped a wire connected to the cameras, which took 12 photos in rapid succession. Maybridge developed the images on site and in the frames revealed that a horse is completely aloft with its hooves tucked underneath for a brief moment during the stride. So yes, in fact, the horse is lifted off the ground for a brief moment in its stride with the hooves tucked underneath. And you know, this revelation was really quite astounding for the general public because it's faster than the moving eye, but also for artists in the future. Um, Edward Degas, who painted well over 161 works of art with a focus on the horse, was really intrigued by Mybridge's work. And in fact, um, most of his works as a result of this particular piece of information resulted in him depicting the horse in a very different way than we had seen earlier by um, Stubbs, etc. in the past. So, you know, it's really interesting, isn't it? In that, I think Dago said it's not so much the view of the horse in terms of the motion, but the fact that the motion of the horse comes from the energy from the ground. And if you're a rider, as I am, you will notice that when you're on the horse and you're actually galloping along, you can feel that enormous energy being lifted, yourself being lifted along as you gallop. And I, I would imagine today in the Melbourne Cup, those jockeys would be feeling exactly the same thing, but at very fast speed. I'm going to hand over to Helen, who's going to talk about the breakaway with a horsey inflection. Yes, I think most of you would know The Breakaway. It's by Tom Roberts, and it's painted um, in 1891. Now, Tom was an Englishman, but he spent uh, half of his time in Australia as well. He did have an experience in Europe with Impressionism, and you can see that the landscape is very Impressionist. So you've got the dust haze, you've got some very uh, quick and, and uh, beautiful painting there, but the big hero there is the man and the horse. Now, I just want to say that this is really quite revolutionary. This was uh, a painting that was perhaps begun uh, when he was drawing the shearing of the rams. And you may, have, you may have seen that painting. He spent a long time in the shearing shed right up in the, the north of New South Wales looking at male heroes, N not, not, not your policemen, not your governors, but people who were really just doing the back-breaking uh, work of building the sheep industry and the pastoral industry. He did hundreds and hundreds of sketchings of um, the shearers, and uh, he also knew that before they could shear the sheep, they had to muster them. And so sheep were brought in from outside paddocks with drovers or uh, probably just stockmen into closer yards where they could shear. Now here you've got a stockman and he's dressed in stockman clothes. But I'd also like to point out that um, I'm a rider as well. And uh, if you look at these two horses up here, these are your epitome of thoroughbred horses. So they're beautiful heads, very fine in the gullet. They're beautifully uh, groomed, so they sheen. Um, and they've got very fine bones. 
This horse does have a sheen, and that gives you a clue that after he looked at the mustering and he started thinking about this really exciting, moving painting, he went back to the studio. And even though you see that the outside is impressionist, he's done a lot of work to actually get this stockman completely accurate. Now, when you look at him, he's riding long in the stirrup. So that's not what these people would do. British riders were trained in European riding ways. So in actual fact, you sat and held the horse between your legs and you should have been able to draw a line between your head, your shoulder, your wrist, and then your heel and your heel should be down. So the horse would actually accommodate to your movement. Here, long in, really long, basically, in the stirrup. But also look at the horse itself. The horse is swinging one way, the man is swinging the other. He's riding west, what we call now western. He has a, a, a very um, ordinary bridle on and he's got a very sharp bit in the horse's mouth. The horse also has very big bars on both sides of its mouth so that if he pulls it really quickly one way or the other, the bit won't slip out. He's also got a crupper underneath the tail. So you can see he's got a stock saddle. He would have some um, pads in the front to make sure he doesn't fall forward. But he needs a stock saddle so he can actually move his backside right and left. A really good stock horse can turn on a sixpence. So when you were talking about that power, that power, when you turn on a sixpence, means that the rider spins too. This leg is counterbalancing the horse's action and his. He's riding with one rein. So Western riders ride with one rein. British riders ride with two reins and a curb chain. And so they wrap the rein around their fingers and they don't move their hands. Neck reined horses, you just fly the rein right across the neck and the horse responds really quickly. So it has here because this is a dramatic scene. If these sheep come down into the sheep who are already in the tank or the dam, they'll drown them, so he has to cut across very quickly. If he was doing cattle work, he'd have a stock whip in his other hand, so that's the point of why he rides basically like that. So probably this is a hero horse, this is a good stock horse. You can see another one up there that's also being ridden, really what we would call rather roughly, but he's also trying to control the sheep that are coming down. You can see too that this horse has got a lovely sheen, unusual for a stock horse. They probably did come from thoroughbreds, but they've been bred with other horses from India and from Timor as well. What you want is big, heavy bone, and you can see that Roberts has done that. But the other remarkable thing is how Roberts has done this too. In the studio, he got a man to sit like that so he could actually put the angles correctly. But to see a horse moving, especially from behind, is fairly incredible. I know today some of the jockeys will see that in the Melbourne Cup. It's probably not a view they really want to see, but in actual fact, big, strong haunches, really projecting that horse along, and a horse that's as, as, as athletic as the man above is athletic too. So it's an interesting painting from Roberts. It's bought by our gallery in the 1890s. At that time, you've got lots of literature talking about Bushmen as being the heroes of Australia and being the true Australian people. Um, you can see poems about uh, the snowy mountain riders and Clancy of the Overflow riding all through New South Wales as well. There's a massive drought as you can see in this painting and also too there's the beginnings of the union movement with the shearers and the drovers and this man could probably shear just as well that began the labour movement in Australia. So Roberts has done a, a very good job, impressionist but also lots of sketching and lots of accuracy for us to have a look at. Now it's over to Meredith to talk about racehorses.
Thanks, Helen. And um, we're not going to talk about horses to start with. We're going to look at the what we call the catastrophe wall. Just above me is a painting by James Shaw of a coastal vessel called the Admilla. It was specially commissioned and built for the Adelaide Melbourne Launceston uh, circuit triangle called Admela for obviously reasons. Um, Admela, and the Admela was a, a very handsome ship. It took passengers and uh, crew, obviously, and quite a number of, of uh, livestock and sometimes copper from. Uh, Barra or from Kapunda. So what happened to the Admela was this. Central image here, also painted by James Shaw, is Admela after the shipwreck. And just below, which is more difficult for you to see, is Charles Hill's version of the same event. So what does a shipwreck have to do with horses? and in particular on a day like today, Melbourne Cup, a great deal. You could possibly say that this shipwreck might have been the only shipwreck in the world caused by a racehorse. When the Admela left Adelaide on the 5th of August in 1859, which is two years before the Melbourne Cup began, in August, of course, storm seas and really, really rough passage and when the ship came from Port Adelaide down past Kangaroo Island and was coming out into the full force of the Southern Ocean, the ocean was so um, churned and the storm was so great that one of the racehorses on board, because there were four racehorses going to Melbourne to a race, very important race, and this particular racehorse lost its footing and fell over. It was called Jupiter. There was another racehorse as well called the Barber. It stayed upright. So while they were trying to get the horse back on its feet and settled, the captain uh, slowed the ship as much as he could. Now, in the middle of the night, as it was, pitch dark, unknown to anybody, the ship was drifting off course. And so when the, the horse was righted and the ship went back on course, it set its sail for Carpenter's Rocks, just south of the Coorong, and that's where this event happened. It was a huge event. Out of the 113 people on board, there were 89 who died, only 24 survivors, and two racehorses. Uh, it took eight days for the people to be rescued because even though the, the wreck was on Carpenter's Rocks, about a kilometre offshore, Nobody could reach it. There was a lack of communication. The nearest telegraph station was at Mount Gambier and they had to get to Mount Gambier so that they could summon help from Portland, which was the nearest place with rescue boats. And so the eight days passed. At some point during that time, somebody from the shore located the two racehorses, the Barber and Jupiter. Now, ironically, even though Jupiter had inadvertently caused the ship to go off course, Jupiter was so badly uh, injured that it had to be euthanized. So that left the archer, the, the barber rather, as the survivor, sole survivor. 
So when everything had calmed down and the survivors had been rescued off the wreck, they started to walk the barber because he was uh, expected in Melbourne to race on the 1st of October and we're now talking about well into August. And they walked him from the beach past Mount Gambia all the way to Geelong, which is a, uh, the shortest route there is about 350 kilometres. Through the scrub, there were no tracks. And they, from Geelong, they put him on a train for Melbourne and he reached Melbourne and then from there to Flemington where he raced on the 1st of October in a race called the Australian Thoroughbred Champion Sweepstakes, a very ungainly name, but Victorians seem to like that kind of thing. Two years later, of course, they renamed it, for obvious reasons, into the Melbourne Cup. But the cup itself was worth £2,750, which in today's money is very big. The winner that day was called the Flying Buck. The second horse was Zoe. The third horse was Nutwith. And the, the barber came in eighth out of 18 horses. Now, the barber was a bay gelding, so they couldn't put him out to stud afterwards. But he did become a legend in his own lifetime. And everybody in Victoria knew the barber. So when eventually the Melbourne Cup began, or was renamed Melbourne Cup two years later, and we all know the winner of that, the archer, archer, and a legend grew up around the archer that archer had travelled to Melbourne Cup by walking 300 miles. Now we know that's not true. And if anybody tries to tell you it was archer, you know better. Uh, and after that, of course, um, somebody else read a horse one time, a couple of years later, and they named it the Barb in honour of the barber. So, uh, oh yes, I needed to tell you these very interesting little snippets. They, in the uh, gold rush times in Victoria, they really knew how to have a good time. And there were quite a number of races during those years. Uh, one of them, if I can cheat, was called the Thespian Cup, donated by Queen's Theatre in Melbourne. The Garrison Cup was donated by the officers of the army. The Booth Holders Prize, uh, you can imagine who donated that. And the, the piece de resistance was the Cheroot Scurry, in which the owners of the horses had to ride their own mounts smoking a lit cheroot. So it was, they really knew how to great, have a great time. In um, 1859, the sweepstakes championships was run over three miles. Today's event, I think, is only over two miles. And it, the main um, message about the 1859 race is what it was the first sporting event in Australia to have its results uh, broadcast by telegraph. Uh, and it was uh, sent to, to Sydney by telegraph, and that's possibly where the first uh, Australia-wide interest in the Melbourne Cup began. Now, I do have a picture of the archer. If you'd like to have a look, I'll pass it around. 
um, it'll go around. We'll go around that way. Um, this was painted by a gentleman on the day by uh, Her Herbert Palmer. You can actually find it for yourself uh, in the National Library of Australia on Trove and you look up Herbert Palmer and you'll get this painting. The barber is the horse on the extreme right-hand end. So there we are, the barber, uh, his uh, uh, racehorse friend caused the shipwreck here uh, and the barber went on and had a great racing life. Uh, incidentally, a month after that race, he raced in a, um, a small local race at Williamstown and he won. Thank you for being here. I hope you uh, gained heaps of information about the horse.